Welcome to From the Ground Up Athletic Performance Podcast. On this week's episode, I sat down with Jordan Terry of Adaptable Polarity. Jordan is a two-time guest on the show, and I brought him back to discuss his new series, Movement, Muscles, and Meridians, which compares and contrasts different myofascial meridians with the energetic meridians of Chinese medicine. He describes the series as an exploration of the structure and flow of the human body, from foot to cranium and everything in between. I feel like that's a good description of today's conversation, as many of the concepts in the show dealt with the integrative nature of the human body. As we move through our discussion, Jordan discusses the different myofascial meridians and ties them to specific Chinese meridians. As Jordan works his way through the body, you can clearly see the alternating architecture that composes the human body, alternating from stable to mobile structures. This is definitely a thought-provoking episode, and one that I feel lends itself to further exploration and creative examinations of the topics presented. So without further ado, let's get to it. Welcome to From the Ground Up Athletic Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Curtis, and my guest today is Jordan Terry of Adaptable Polarity. Excited to have you on again, Jordan. We sat down in a couple of my first episodes, you know, so we talked sometimes back, and we've actually corresponded and just and uh, talked since then you actually are responsible for the artwork for my podcast so if you're looking for great artwork we're going to talk about some of the offerings that you recently have out he actually did a design for a shirt and for my podcast so love this guy's artwork but to go along with it I love art, but I tend to read a lot more. So you put a lot of like quality contextual evidence and just things that tie really nicely to the artwork. So a lot of different anatomical models and things. Today, we're going to be focusing more on the myofascial lens and some of the Chinese meridians, which is referenced in your newest series, Movement, Muscles, and Meridians. And it's coming at a time, at a good time because I had Danny Foley on and I was actually looking at Danny's article like yesterday or the day before and a couple of your images were on there as well so if you guys haven't checked that yeah. article out it links really nicely to episode 64 a couple episodes back for me and some of your artwork is actually mentioned within that so for those that haven't listened to our previous episode just give us a brief introduction and kind of what adaptable polarity is and then we'll jump into some of these main talking points adaptable polarity came out of going out and signing and checked before i even knew what course i was taking and then running home and being like everybody needs this and then just slowly and in fact i heard ito portal speak recently that forgetting is not the same as not knowing so we go out we study these things and then there's this place and space of forgetting it all and moving on and beyond that and those lessons and truths that we have found i'm really honing in on that each therapist whether you're a trainer or a manual therapist osteopath chiropractic uh, acupuncturist whatever you become the modality and so really the person that shows up, do I show up with my hammer every day and just hammer out nails? Do I show up with a tool belt, toolbox, shed, a warehouse? And how do I flux, ebb and flow through those different things to meet with that person that's shown up there today? And that one person that shows up Monday might be different if they come back Wednesday and Friday or the next week or two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. And so, yeah, it was one on the side of things of how do we adapt? How do I adapt to my skill set? This person today in this moment with the sun and moon and planets and the positions and gravitational pulls upon us and then the next and then just the concept of polarity as we look out at the universe, we see these gigantic forces 
creating tension and push and pull. And then we see that down at a microscopic level as well. Even in our weather patterns, it makes sense that that would be in human patterns therefore as well. And then this current series that you've referenced, the muscles and meridians, actually came about from my first non-trained, non-therapist student to take my course. That will play also as a series of three courses that I teach now online. It's way more fun in person, but actually after someone begged me to uh, teach online, someone in the UK, and we had a really good time. I've opened it up and it's been really fun since then. But yes, yeah, someone wanted to do it. So we wanted to do anatomy first to review because she didn't feel sufficient in that. And I was like, all right, well, how would I want to teach anatomy all over again? And having that architectural background that we probably talked about last podcast, you know, the structure and flow. And so we started overlapping myofascial meridians. That would be like anatomy trains from Tom Myers and superficial front and back lines, lateral lines, spiral lines, deep front lines, et cetera. And then looking at how they compare and contrast to the energetic Chinese meridians. And there's a book called The Spark in the Machine by Dr. Daniel Cohen. And he talks about, you know, so polarity or yin and yang or the Tao, night and day. We see this all the time throughout everything, all of existence and at all levels. And he references that the Tao, most people think of it as two images, as the yin and the yang, but it's actually three. And it's the space between. And as a Western medical doctor, then went got his doctorate in Chinese medicine, he laughed that surgeons had dissected the body through and through and said, we found no, no trace evidence of meridians. They just don't exist. And he's laughing because once he learned, it's that basically it's the fascia and it's the layer between the fascia and the gliding and the sliding that we talk about that that's the space in between and that's what creates the meridians. And so then that comes into this whole play of movement and what movement does to help the meridians, to help the organs and how the organs help the meridians. And then it comes into like stuff from Dr. Jerry Tennant and healing his voltage that the, the myofascial meridians are like battery packs for the organs. And it just starts crisscrossing and connecting all sorts of dots. So I thought, hell, I want to go connect some dots. And that became the most recent series. Looks great. All these, a lot of images you've actually put out on Instagram and you've put out some reels and stuff and with some of these descriptions and a couple of things that you said there stood out as far as like providing a different lens. Uh, because, you know, I'm more familiar with the myofascial system and, and the meridians there, but I'm not as familiar with the Chinese meridians. I'm really interested to how this will intersect as we go through this today. But having that different lens and then whenever you put that other kind of microscope on something. It's amazing how you see those intersections among things that you didn't think might have lined up before. I think you referenced the spark in the machine the last time that we actually spoke. So it's interesting that like, that was on your mind then. And obviously it's, it was kind of like destiny for you to kind of, I guess, come out with these series, this series, because it seems like it all kind of correlated and lined up for you. So a lot of the terms you threw out there, they, they really line up well with what we're going to talk about. Like you, you referenced tension and push and pull because we can look at things in an isolated fashion and with you being so heavy into architecture and you were actually saying that briefly before we jumped on, like this idea of isolation, whenever you look at a structure overall, 
if you're just looking at components, it's easy to see isolation. But then if you take in the whole picture, you see how the structure actually truly supports itself. And it's in a completely different dynamic than one would expect, right? So we're going to look at that integration, that flow, and how things hold together and how things kind of correlate and run together. And it's going to be a nice little conversation along the way. So you threw some terms out there. And again, I believe as far as myofascial, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but as far as meridians for the myofascial, there's several terms that can be used interchangeably for that, correct? So let's let's talk about the term of meridian and how it pertains both to the myofascial perspective and to the Chinese meridians, which you just referenced. Sure, absolutely. Before that, I want to thank you for having me back. This is the first time being a second time guest on a podcast. So cheers. Great to see you again. The myofascial meridians, uh, in some of the literature that I read, meridians was even a bad name translation for them from the Chinese meridian system. It's just a system of flow. And so we have also a term from muscle meridians, uh, Dr. Philip Beach, huge inspiration and part of this, his book, constantly checking that. And he calls them contractile fields. He really looks at the embryology of development. There's even, um, not from him, but someone else references, they watch a, um, a frog in embryo developing and they see these electrical shoots going out and it's basically they're in like meridian pathways. The myofascial version, from what I gathered, the reason Tom Myers calls them anatomy trains is because they were doing dissection and they had these, you know, kind of tracks that they could follow and they would connect. It's another way and a better way, right? Like you were talking about breaking down in little local pieces and like if you have a foot issue and the doctor prescribes PT and then you go and you just get PT on your foot, but they don't look at how it connects to the knee or the hip. Or just recently I saw someone with plantar fasciitis and then I was just checking other joints and her knee, her PCL has been removed and her knee is mobile where it should have some stability. And so the body moved that stability down into the heel and now her heel is like, ouch, that hurts. So we, you know, divide up the body into muscles to talk about them, but that's near useless. And the brain doesn't think in terms of muscles or individual muscles. It more so has a vast amount of information coming from all of the reflexes and proprioception and internal guts. And then we have thoughts and emotion and all that's going out and coming back. And we get this threshold of neurology baseline for some people. Some people exist way high, way low. And if we change any piece of that, like you and I, it looks like you're sitting down. I'm sitting down, you know, our seats, we have some compression, blood flow spreads out from there. That changes the information to our brain. And so our hips become different, but it's always constantly connected. So the Tom Myers myofascial anatomy trains really started to bridge anatomy back to connecting everything. And people, they're funny, right? They they come in and, you know, they're complaining about a shoulder thing. But I'm like, but your hips are actually most remarkable right now on what's going on there. You know, like, well, how's my hip connection to my shoulder? It's like, well, if we actually disconnected that, you'd be really uncomfortable. Everything in the human body is connected. And at some level, if we and I were in the same room, you know, some microscopic level, we can't tell where your nose ends and mine begins. So these myofascial meridians, we have superficial front and back. And I've seen someone else break down the back line. And I think they're spot on into two superficial back line and a deep back line. 
Then we have our symmetrical lateral lines, right? Because anterior and posterior are actually different. Lateral lines are relatively symmetrical. And then we have a series of arm lines and then what's called the deep front line of fascia, which is basically mostly how I view core. If someone was to say core, I would think deep front line of fascia. And it seemed coincidental and obvious and a great pursuit uh, to explore when I started looking at that the superficial front line looked like the stomach meridian. And I'll talk about what the Chinese meridians form of them are in comparison in a moment. And the lateral line looked like the gallbladder line and the posterior line, superficial back line looked like the urinary bladder channel. And I was like, that's too easy. Let's just start there. So the Chinese meridians I don't know, something like 5,000 years ago and Spark in the Machine to reference again talks about, you know, to blindly follow 5,000 years of medicine and tradition is stupid, but to ignore that is also stupid. That's my loose paraphrase of it. And it's like, these were smart people, these Taoists, they were sitting and looking at the world and the universe and then also applying that to human function, form, flow and health, well-being, what that means. And recently, because of some research and whatever, it seems that there's created this divide between, oh, if you're an acupuncturist and you think in that terms, that puts you over here. And if you're a biomechanic, science, evidence-based, that puts you over here. And you can talk about myofascia over here and you can talk about energetic meridians over here, but let's not, let's not crisscross because there's a research paper. I can't remember exactly which one it was, but they found that acupuncture works, but it doesn't seem to matter which point you put it in that, you know, they can put it anywhere and, and somehow it helps. So that's fascinating to me. I would love to hear more acupuncturist thoughts and theories. I have my own on that, but then it comes to the point, And again, this is from Daniel Cohen and the spark of the machine. He's like, there is no non acupuncture points on the human body, meaning wherever you stick a needle, that'll have some sort of, reflex like uh we we have a well-documented you know nociceptive withdrawal if i poke a needle in my hand my hand's going to go away from that if i touch a hot plate my hand going to recoil away from that we've seen that we've been programmed by bite scratch and itch over the millennia to avoid pain recognize pain and quickly get away from it so the Taoists, the story that i heard nothing was dogma until it stood up to a hundred years of implementation that's a bit more rigorous sounding than our current research standards. <laughs> and yeah, I just wanted to know. And every time I go into it, you know, maybe I have a an idea and a direction that I want to go and then something else comes to me. It's like a download. It's a way of continual learning, seeing things from a different perspective. And even today, I just wanted to go over the feet and I, I had an intention to go a different direction. And I was like, let me just count how many acupuncture points there are in the feet. And I'm you know, I even have my little list here to the side. There's six, then five, then four, then five, then eight, then five. And then I did the math and I was like, there's 33 acupuncture points. What's the coincidence that there's 33 acupuncture points in the feet and there's 33 joints in the feet? And I was like, 26 bones, 33 joints, 33. I'm like, all right, I don't know what that means yet, but just to like sit and see these things highlights the importance of knowing these spots. And a lot of the spots have anatomical correlations and connections, not just to muscles and the wrapping fascia, 
but maybe nerve, nerve endings. I found a lot through the studying the yin channels and the deep front line of fascia that there's an association with venous return, which is a reception, you know, right? Yin is receptive and sometimes deemed feminine. Masculine is active and deemed, what did I say? Masculine? Yang is masculine, active, outward, yin, receptive, inward, female, feminine, or the earth is considered yin and the sun is considered yang and keeps going on from there. And yeah, every time I go into it, I'm excited. The next part, uh, I have to get through the arm lines, which I'm, I find I'm struggling uh, setting down to do a little bit. It was so much more revealing and easy and exciting. But I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get through this and I'll get the arm lines done because then I want to start cross-connecting and tying it all together, the spiral lines, bringing it into gait and motion and movements and things that we do. Sounds like a bit of rambling. What else? No, interesting. I mean, a a lot of different things. Like, and I was going to ask too, because just my reading on, you know, myofascial research recently, and you can probably uh, maybe clear this up, but like the number of meridians, myofascial meridians, that's something that's kind of debated, correct? Amongst researchers, is that something that you've seen? And what I've read on it, it's mostly because of like the dissection methods, I think, which you referenced earlier. Um, So like I've seen it range from four all the way up to 12. I believe Myers has 12, but I've seen it like all the way down like four or five, I believe. So based off of different research um is that so so can you kind of clear that up and kind of like what the debate is kind of on that and kind of where what your perspective is per per se on that sure i don't know if i'll clear it up but i'll just give you my perspective what your perspective is yeah well again so the fascia and the connectivity is 3d it's almost like a if you think of like a spider's web and the spider sits in the middle and there's one little tiny ding and the spider senses it. It's a bit quicker than the nervous system as it turns out per some research. So it's 3D. So again, it is based on dissection and who dissects and how and where. And then we're just labeling it. I really like Dr. Beach's contractile fields to so the anterior or he calls them dorsal, ventral, anterior and posterior. And then the lateral and then helical. I think... Um, more the spirals or transverse planes. I don't know, really, it doesn't matter. I'm sure there's some really cool numerology as there's the uh, 12, I think, Chinese meridians. So I would love to delve into that, but I don't really know the details. We could make up stuff and have fun with that. What seems to matter is just felt sense and connection and a nicer way for people to start understanding that your big toe is connected to your jaw and your ankle does matter what happens to your shoulder and your cranium does matter what happens to your pelvis what was really interesting so back to the yang meridians they all seem to be these big movers contractile fields and then the yin meridians are all the deep front line of fascia and they all created basically this form of contraction that was the the fetal position and in embryology that's kind of how we we fold out first and we're in that position before we even learned and we even have the space to get yang and moving outwards, we have this yin side fetal position. And that became really fascinating of taking deep front line of dividing into three. And as I broke each down, there was just more correlation and overlap to each one as it went through. And I don't even know, I'm, not, I'm never going to claim it as dogma, but the Again, the downloads, the information, the connections between to reference architecture, form follows function. So in the you know embryology study of the frog and seeing the electric 
fields kind of going out and they're saying that this is like the meridian system of, of growing outwards, these contractile fields that Dr. Beach speaks of, then there's also something that would go in the reverse and equal and opposite direction, which is movement. And that movement would also be a form of, I don't want to say manifesting, but recreating these lines and the energetic lines. I mean, we are energetic beings. We talk about almost anybody can, you know, just be like, oh, yeah, I'm feeling low energy. I need something to eat. And everyone's like, oh, okay, I get it. But then if you say like, oh, my chi is low, we lose, you know, 50% of the population all of a sudden. So it becomes words and perspectives. And I just love merging the two sides and be like, hey, look, we're, we're talking about the same thing. I like how you put that in there, too, because I actually had that like noted, like whenever you're referencing all the Chinese meridians and, and this idea of flow, like it it seems to be a much more natural perspective because sharing my own perspective, like I'm reading through uh, principles of neuroscience. I've got it right here on the on the table right here. So I'm typically reading like more scientific literature, research based things. That's not to say that this stuff isn't research based, but like. I like to look at things from this perspective as well, because it allows you to remove yourself and not in a scientific lens, but like to look how things flow together from a more like universal perspective, rather than looking at things as we referenced earlier in these small segments, because I've been reading about neurons, like all the way from basic function, all the way to how it connects, you know, but you miss that along the way. Because you get so compartmentalized looking at how does the neuron function? What are the four different functions here? What's the knee jerk reflex and how are basic reflexes? Like you lose things along the way whenever you just look at things from that perspective. And if you dial it back to this is a little bit unrelated, but it is related at the same time. If you look at some some of the people who are out there like Huberman that talk about natural things that can be some of the greatest drivers for actually setting up your physiology for performance and for feeling your best, like looking at sunlight at the correct times, getting exercising at the correct times, eating at the correct times, cold and hot, you know, all these exposures, just very natural that have actually been pretty much bred into us over time. It's something that we had to survive and deal with. So we can be as scientific as we want to, but our body has evolved for, you know, so long to deal with these very basic elements. So that's right. where these two things marry so nicely in my perspective. As I've become as obsessed with uh, some evolu evolutionary biologists and their perspective, and they get a lot of backlash and recoil from some of their theories, but it makes the most sense. And I often find that truth is just the simplest thing. And so, you know, Huberman and the Edo Portal that they did together, they talked about, that was such a good episode. I've been going through the transcript and like pulling out parts I really like. There's so many times I was like, Yes! What this guy has to say is so spot on and I've been saying it, so I felt validated and also, um, you know, inspired to keep going on. But the focus, what they were talking about, if we have a narrow range focus and what we look in on, that's going to be more of a sympathetic nature than stepping back and having the vista and the space. And yeah, gosh, how many people don't even see the stars anymore? Don't take an evening out to stop and look up. Don't sit around a fire and share stories these are things that like you said bred in us they were a form of bread and butter for us a long time ago that that disconnection and and the way that we look at what's natural you know a natural form of science and the evolution of 
us as we are and we're still evolving or devolving. I mean, there's a constant flow of evolution where things are upregulating and where things are downregulating for sure. Like gluteus maximus is on the decline. <laughs> oh God, don't bring that in. That'll be a hot topic <laughs> for sure. So going from here, we can go ahead and kind of delve into this and this next talking point will lead us into that. But we referenced this actually on our first episode as far as like flow and you've actually already referenced it. But like, let's talk about flow disruption, especially in the perspective of the Chinese meridians. And then from there, I'd kind of like if you can, you've referenced it multiple times about the yin and the yang. As as we pick through this, if you can kind of talk about where each of these meridians fits that you've covered so far uh, in light of that. So the first thing I'd, I'd like to do is kind of talk about disruptors of flow in the perspective of the Chinese meridian. Um, so what are some things that would, I guess, come out as symptoms or issues? Again, I think thinking in terms of the Chinese meridians as the space in between, fascia is a crystalline matrix. So it has the ability to conduct electricity. And, you know, we've, we've deemed and traced it as piezoelectricity. So it's those layers and slide and glide as we move. So repetitive use seems to be a big one doing something always over in the same way day in and day out and never having an equal and opposite. So blacksmith or carpenter continually doing this and using their right hand and the right hand only and never getting back to explore this space of the equal and opposite behind them. That'll be problematic. That'll increase flow through one zone where stuff will go short and tight, decrease through the other zone, and that'll be long and tight. You know, mostly it's interesting. I, in Tui Na, which is a Taoist form of Chinese massage that developed alongside acupuncture, and a lot of acupuncture schools have their acupuncturists trained in Tui Na. My instructor, he said that his master that he learned from a lineage of imperial Tui Na, called Wu Wei, I'm sure I'm pronouncing it wrong, but I love it. It means effortless effort, that there are no muscles. It's just the sinews, right? So it's the tendons and ligaments and then we eliminate the muscles in that kind of view. And that's just because the muscles are there for a quick fixotropic change in a displacement of blood, of fluid. So if we have something that is not pumping blood well, like if I never get my elbow to full extension, then I'm not getting full blood flow through that musculature. If I'm lacking that blood flow through the musculature, the nerves are not going to be washed fully. So we might have a slight mild dehydration of some of the nerves. And if we lose blood flow around nerves, if you've ever sat on your foot for five minutes, you know what that feels like in a intense localized way. But if we have a repetitive thing day in and day out, and therefore a lack of flow, this would be a disruption to the meridian. This is one of the quicker, easier fixes for body workers and trainers and therapists of any kind when it's just a identifying, oh, you do this all day, every day, and you've been doing it for 20 years you might need to explore the equal and opposite. So that's one thing that I find regularly that uh, is a disruptor. Another thing is scars and scar tissue. I heard uh, one of my favorite evolutionary biologists, uh, Dr. Brett Weinstein, and he was talking about fascia for some reason and scars. And he's like, scar tissue is like the spackling of building material. <laughs> and it cracked me up. It's amazing that our bodies can do it, that we recruit these fibroblasts and they migrate over and they repair the tissue, but it's never the same, right? You know, once the 
college house uh, party drunk guy goes through the wall, that wall will never be the same, right? We spackle it up, we can paint it over, it looks pretty, but the integrity of that wall has forever changed. Well, that seems to be true in the human body as well. I'll share my personal story. I lost taking on concrete uh, skateboarding and took about an inch chunk out of my jaw here. And for internal, for external, no big deal. Healed, recovered, fine. My jaw's still a little weird from it. But every once in a while, I'll get some knee pain. And early on, I would just get my knee pain treated and locally and no change whatsoever. And then remembering my own cranial sacral map, right? The cranium and the sacrum relate to each other. They uh, balance off of each other in gait and movement and two ends of the spine and the dural tube. And this is the the knees, right? If this is the biggest joint in the cranium, that would be my hip of my cranium. And then this is like your external, or sorry, greater trochanter. And then this is your knees. So I was walking up and down some stairs and I was like, son of a bitch, put pressure on my scar, no pain. I was like, okay, what? Stopped, did some squats, pain, put pressure on the scar, no pain. Found like a vector of release, walked down, was going downstairs to get some coffee, walked downstairs, got some coffee while holding my scar, like walking like this. Wasn't too many people, but they did, I'm sure, think I was weird. Got back to my friend's apartment and had a few tests and cleared some stuff up forgot about the knee pain that is the best right when someone has some sort of pain and then you see them again you're like hey how's your knee pain you're, they're like but knee, knee pain oh right i had some knee pain oh yeah it's gone so that happened like that and i was like why what was going on and before that when i was you know it was going on two weeks which to me is unacceptable um i'm in and out of pain all the time because i like to use my body and go surfing i get tweaked hit a rock wipe out hard uh whatever but two weeks, I know something was going on. And so I remember before that, I actually spent a lot of time longboarding. And when I longboard, I actually just like dink my chin. So I kept hitting my spackle, my scar, and revving something up there because it's not the same fascial network that it was when I left some of it on the concrete. So uh, scars are huge. And it's interesting when and why some of them pop back up and some of them don't, you know, depths and layers you know, along what fascial chains that they are part of and emotional connections. So, all, all that's yeah. interesting. I like actually to interject something there. Like whenever I went to the square one workshop uh, a couple months back, that's a big, like if, if somebody has a scar, like that's something that's identified as a trauma or a threat or something that could have, you know, sensory uh, dysregulation. Uh, so that's one of their identifiers. It's, pretty simple that that you can identify pretty quickly so that kind of cross correlates and lines up with things that you were saying there and some things that were going through on mine as you were speaking about blocking flow the repetitive use I typically talk about athletic development on this podcast, and we've talked a lot about having a broader perspective and then having a narrower perspective as we've gone throughout this conversation and a lot of the times preparing athletes you can get an extremely narrow perspective and become extremely repetitive in the nature of the things that you do and i feel like specialization if it, if you're not careful can breed dysfunction along the way uh, and sometimes you need that dysfunction i mean because you're doing very specialized things but like 
a more holistic picture is probably better and being timely with the way you inject variability into your practices. And you can think about that too, like not even athletic prep, but just our sedentary choices. There's repercussions for setting. There's repercussions for your postural response as you look at your phone or as we look at this computer, you know, it it tells a story. So those repetitive natures really stood out to me as far as the flow. Ida Portal in the Huberman one, he says, you are your spine. I would like to extend it to you are everything within your meninges, which is the three layers of the dura, arachna, and pita matter, so your, your spine and your brain. And that's really, I mean, we can't really remove those things. <laughs> we had a really big south swell up here about a month ago, and it pushed up these giant jellyfish. And they got, you know, big heads like this and then these tentacles. And I was looking at it and I was like, we got rid of our bones and we didn't need to contain water with our skin. And we just were floating in it. And I was like, yep, there we are. That's wild. <laughs> All right. <laughs> just floating through the ocean. These, you know, central nervous systems. And that, that they're like, that's good enough. That'll be enough. And I feel like something else to extend a point as far as like being extremely repetitive or being like siloed. I feel like there's so much low hanging fruit whenever you experience someone who's never worked out before or someone who's only attacked things from a specialized perspective. Because if you ever change up your workout regimen or just add in simple things, like if you, if you don't stretch a lot, if you stretch, you're going to feel the effects a lot more than someone who goes to yoga frequently. Right. And it's, it's just like drinking caffeine or having an alcoholic drink. If you're not someone who typically does that it has a larger effect the input is much larger to your system so like i feel like whenever you encounter those things like you spoke to there's just so much room for growth because there's so many different pieces of low-hanging fruit that you can get a lot of bang for buck from and i've, I've actually david weck was on with me and he was talking about once you get somebody to Hello, a, david <laughs> once you get somebody to a certain standard within a given area you have to give so much to continue expanding within that particular quality but once if you add in a new variable there's so much more room for growth so it's kind of like take your eyes off of something for a little bit and see where can i actually bring them up somewhere else because that may actually have trickle down effects um elsewhere for sure i mean gosh so many points and things i wanted to comment in there but i was trying to listen so let's go back to the specialization i agree i've been seeing time and time again articles and literature about out like you know don't specialize your kids let them play a bunch of different things and that just makes sense then like you're saying like you get stuck into these certain training and doing these things and that's great in one form or fashion but then real life happens and even even if real life is what you're training for in competition so let's say sports specific still real life happens you know someone slides underneath you in soccer and your ankle comes down weird so if you don't have the dexterity to bend in that way and come back to center to not you know to not have the ability to stretch which brings into the comment you're talking about the people that stretch versus work out I felt like early on in my practice was very quickly identifiable like oh this person's much more of like you know on the yogi path or yogini and stretching a lot you need to go weight train stop stretching you're not going to stretch out of this go lift weights and then you know have the people that like to work hard and lift weights and it's like you you need you know you need to go stretch that's that stability mobility polarity concept once again you have too much of one thing let's go to the other and then that's what's 
what the brain, right? The neuroscience, the brain loves that. Ido and uh, Andrew talked about it again in that. Uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza talks about it all the time. Joe Dispenza says that by 35, we're pretty much hardwired and just reactionary beings that we rarely, the average human doesn't do much different. They get up and they repeat and they do it and they've already thought it. They're already actually doing it. And so that's why it's wild to just stop and do something different. Like this morning's little just counting acupuncture points and like, oh my God. Um, and why I love surfing because every time I go back to surf, even though I do surf one stance, that's a downfall of it, right? Left foot forward. It's called regular footed. But every time I go, the ocean's different. The swell's different. I'm a little bit different. Maybe I'm a little bit too hopped up on caffeine. That's horrible. I hate that feeling and sensation. It normally ruins my first 45 minutes of surfing. Just like, ah, I got to like surf the jitters out. Just keep paddling. Uh, but it's variable and different. And then I wipe out, right? And it's most of the time fun as long as it's done safely. And, you know, I feel your body go in all sorts of different directions and pulled in ways that I would never get uh, in a gym. And that's just because surfing is my gym. But then I get back up and as I'm paddling out, I'm thinking about, all right, what happened there? You know, like, where were my eyes? Where was my head? What happened to my feet? Kind of analyzing, learning from those stumbles, from those falls. And so it's just this continual progression, sometimes real slow. But then it's also interesting. Sometimes I'll take like two weeks off, not normally by choice of like, I'm not going surfing normally by being busy or there's a lack of waves and about two weeks i started getting a little tweaked out <laughs> and i'm ready to get back out there you know so i start daydreaming about surfing and, and really starting to monitor the surf cameras again and like oh man all right i need to go surfing and when i get back out there after you know two weeks or hopefully never as long as a month but i'm sure it's happened sometimes i feel like i make leaps and bounds in that and so then that references all the studies that have been done on thoughts and meditation and visualization and how people can visualize shooting basketball hoops and not actually do it and then go back to shooting and they have leaps and bounds in percentage. And so then, then we have this whole exploration and mind body connection and visualization. Oh my. And just to kind of tie that point together that I made earlier about like low hanging fruit too. Like I'm kind of an isometric junkie. I do. I feel like it's such a great place to start people with. And you referenced different eye positions and like you don't have to add in a huge curveball. If, if you have someone in an isometric position, like I get them to do different eye movements, close the eyes, different head movements. And it's amazing what your brain is experiencing just by doing those simple things and how it has to, you know, rationalize staying upright, holding position, holding ground. It's crazy because the eyes, they say, are the window to the soul. I feel like the eyes are really the window to the brain uh, because, I mean, mean, gate is everywhere and all those things are happening. And there's actually can have some vestibular function things as well. So like, that's something that I go to a lot because that's a simple variability that can be done really quickly and it challenges people and it puts something so simple into a different, you know, activity, different variety right there. Well, like, you know, eyes up, more parasympathetic, spreads my view out. I see more naturally tilts, you know, the head a little bit, unless I'm going way up, but just to the horizon, which creates a, a cogging counter posterior so anterior tilt posterior tilt to the rib cage so my chest and my heart opens and so now i'm like now connected in part of the world versus eyes down we have equal and opposite and that's more of a sympathetic nature 
And so we can even see that in gate watching people walk. And if they're looking down in front of them, that's an immediate red flag. And that can just simply change with some awareness. Like, are you even aware? Do you need to look down there? Can you get your eyes up? And then again, I think what I was referencing with Andrew and Ito, they were also talking about the vista and the eyes up versus the eyes down and what that does. David Weck commented to me one time that, um, cause, uh, gallbladders here and he said leveling gallbladder one and two i forget it would have some sort of effect i was like wait explain that and then i recognize that it is it's a connection to the eyes and that creates a leveling of that meridian well i had one other point there that i wanted to mention but it it slipped away you did want to know about the yin and the yang in terms of the meridians yeah we can we can weave that in as we go through each of them if you want to like talk about each perspective on each of those because that's what we'll spend these these last couple of talking points on. I'll let you pick through what you would prefer as far as um the ones that you've put out there so far. And just to tie that point off, great points you're making there and, and kind of validating all that. But resilience, I feel like we're speaking to that. And it's funny because uh, one of my upcoming podcasts is about breath work and resilience with Rob Wilson. And we're going to talk a lot about like building resilience and more of a general approach rather than that specific approach again. So I feel like everything we said, as far as like eye movements, like the more variation you bring into it, the more resilience you're bringing to the situation because you're having to adapt constantly to different inputs. So I feel like a lot of the talking points we've kind of connected together here have somehow tied to resilience, which I didn't intend uh, because you're providing that variability and having to respond to different inputs. Yeah. I remember my point is the, you know, Oh, about a third or so of our cranial nerves or more so about a third are all dedicated to the eyes, either muscles that move them or the actual optic nerve. Uh, yes, they're very important and they are very connected to the brain. So yeah, the eyes are, are huge and important and they're funny to watch, you know, when asking someone to do a movement and they look up into the sky, like they're going to find that movement there instead of down and in their body. For sure. You see it all the time with weightlifting. People will look one way or the other. And that's an immediate red flag for me as far as compensation patterns. They lead us. So in surfing, you know, where you're talking about your head or where your eyes go, your body will follow. And so very much so, you know, when we look up, we naturally want to nod and go up. And in fact, once we get to kind of an end range, we kind of try to use our eyes to get a little bit further and down and left and right. And so a lot of the lines and meridians also have connections to those eye directions right they um gallbladder starts here has a lateral rectus component urinary bladder starts here so it's going to be our superior and stomach here inferior so there we have our major eye movements up down and then the outsides i mean they have the in and out pair but our yang meridians right here all start around the eyes and then go down to your feet so i find that's fascinating that whether you're looking at it from a neurological or resilience or science-based, uh, the Chinese meridian, that uh, 5,000 year or longer, I don't know, tradition has a correlation and a connection. So I don't know. Yeah, you referenced something of the images that you've seen that you want me to talk about and go on to. Yeah, for sure. To, to tie off the vision, that's one of the things too, like either my breathing or my vision, like let's say I'm driving or something. Have you ever been driving? You, you referenced surfing multiple times or maybe, you know, skateboarding, whatever. And sometimes you're so tunnel visioned, everything is drawn in. And like, I'll take that moment to be like, 
okay, I want to expand my periphery. And like, it's amazing how quickly you can do that. But like, there are times you have those huge blind spots. And like in a sport, that would be like a huge, you would be a great detriment because of that, because you can't see things coming from other sides. You can't make plays that way. And I've, I've referenced this on multiple podcasts, but I experience it all the time. I'll be super focused, driving, been at work all day. I'm thinking hard. And my vision is just like so tunnel, but it's amazing how quickly you can expand that. And I typically tie breathing and the vision together like that, but that's the two I can reference the most to see my baseline. I feel like, you know, have you ever been on a, a bike, a motor or push bike and there's a pothole coming and you stare at the pothole <laughs> and you go hit the pothole. You're like, son of a bitch. I was, <laughs> I didn't want to hit that. Right. So are we like literally direct us I and mean, just look the other way. Probably would have missed it. Yeah, for sure. So let's talk through some of these different points. So I'll name some of them and then you can choose which ones you feel like would be most intriguing or which ones you feel like discussing today. So you have several different things out there and you're actually still putting uh, different layers into this, I believe, at the moment. You just put one oh, out, yeah. what, like yesterday or the day before. So you have uh, the superficial front line. You have the stomach channel, which I believe you've already referenced that. Um, you have the lateral line and the gallbladder. You have the deep front line, the spleen. There's multiple ones you can talk about here. So any ones that you want to talk about and if any of these tie together in any particular manner, let's just kind of talk through that. But let's look at myofascial meridian and how it ties to one of these specific Chinese meridians. Sure. Well, what was most interesting was the breakdown of superficial front and back correlating to stomach and urinary bladder. Very similar looking, same pathways, lateral gallbladder, even the way that Tom Myers depicts the side. There's like a, a lattice step work that goes up the side of the gallbladder channel that I can't wait to later explore into the, the spiral lines, right? The spiraling is the combination of it all. And we were talking earlier about numbers of myofascial meridians. There's some guy, oh, I'm not remembering his name, so sorry, but he's done and created up to like 30 to 40 different spiral lines. Because really, if you just start following the tissue and the different fibers, that just leads you somewhere and that connects differently. And you just you can draw your own spiral lines. What then was most interesting was deep front line of fascia, right? So this is three muscles, extrinsic muscles of your feet into your calves, kind of your adductors, pelvic floor, iliopsoas, anterior spine, diaphragm, lungs, heart, deep neck, and kind of jaw cranium stuff and I had really no idea where it was going to go it was going to lead me or you know I'm not an acupuncturist I just find this stuff fascinating and I'll have this awesome app called uh, the manual of acupuncture I think I bought for 30 bucks and it's been priceless in terms of just referencing and studying and looking and connecting dots and so in the deep front line of fascia as I went through the three things and started breaking down these are all our diaphragms so the arch of the foot is really governed into reference David Weck. And in fact, that was passed on to me from something else, a video of his of talking about the hard side and the soft side of the foot. And the hard side is the calcaneal side. We have the calcaneal side that strikes the ground and through that outer foot, that's the hard side. And then the soft side is your big toe side and the big arch side can break down the foot of the arch, but keep it simple. That's the one everyone thinks about. And liver runs on top of it and spleen runs kind of side and bottom. And I thought it was weird because the top of the foot very much feels like a yang hard thing, you know, kick soccer balls there and really can send them flying. But seeing David's video on the foot, 
and then it's the soft side, and then it connects back to the talus, which is floating. And so this is the yin side, and this is the side that collapses and receives the weight of the body so that it can go down and have a flat foot. Pronation is not bad, right? People, pronation is not bad, only if you're stuck there. An arched foot is not necessarily good because if you're stuck there and you can't go flat, we need both. And so then we begin to see the arch of the foot as a diaphragm on that soft calcaneal side through the big toe that's our yin side then we have the back of the knee and the popliteal connections there to the deep front line of fascia that's considered a little diaphragm there right with the foot pumps appropriately that'll get fluid back up out of the foot to the knee if the knee pumps appropriately that'll get back up to kind of hip groin and then body seems to be able to take care of it against gravity after there but then we have the pelvic floor liver channel goes right on up wraps around through our genitals and goes up from there kidney goes and so that's more like what it turns out to be your peagles right if you have your kegels you have your peagles and your poogles <laughs> so holding your bladder that would be your peagles right i didn't come up with that folks uh that was that was definitely somewhere else somewhere along the studies uh and then the kidney channel runs posteriorly like to the the coccyx and so there's more of your poogles and the posterior pelvic floor connection then we have our breathing diaphragm that's the one that everyone thinks of up through the lungs to the top of the the dome of the lungs and this kind of transverse threshold and diaphragm here then to kind of the top and the first diaphragm i suppose this is one too but really just in here all of those uh meridians even though ex so they run externally and internally and so the points are kind of what we can access this is again just my general understanding of not being an acupuncturist but the points are where we can access them with needles or pressure right acupressure two different responses and you can tonify up or down depending on how you work them anyhow had previously just seen the meridians and when most people see the meridians you just see the external points and that's what ends up people thinking this manual in acupuncture and then from other acupuncturists continually correcting me thank you for your tutelage all you acupuncturists out there there's internal channels and so all of the yin run from the feet all the way up to the cranium and that was another huge aha that i still haven't found someone who appropriately has geeked out on it with me but here we go so when we receive in utero it's through our umbilical cord right everything comes in that way and that's about where we kind of fold out from it's a very vital yeah it is everything at that point in time but then as we enter the earthly realm and exit our mothers that reception and yin comes here from the mouth and to do so most specifically you know and hopefully that baby is getting breastfed and so the spleen channel runs up to the bottom of the tongue and like through digastrics and superhyoids that have the movement of opening the mouth. Well, there's one. We got to get the mouth open to receive nutrients. And then two, the liver comes up, runs behind the lips, and then creates uh, one little extra thing up to the, I don't know if it's like bregma, the anterior fontanelle. But so I started playing with and you tell you tell me like try <laughs> try to suckle i feel like a pull from here like a, almost like a fascial pull and we've seen and known that the the research shows that uh suckling breastfeeding or at least having uh some sort of pseudo nipple for the baby is a huge part of cranial facial development so there we saw 
you know, whether I'm making up or not is like, that seems important and worth looking at and studying and knowing. And then finally, uh, the kidney runs up to like the root of the tongue. So we suckle and then we move, in this case, we're talking about breast milk back to then swallow. And so the kidney completes that yin and reception. So we have these three channels that all go up right to the cranium, right to and through and around the mouth and the importance of the mouth and the the palate, the palate's become a huge thing in terms of cranial positioning, breath, breathing, chewing, our brainstem, everything along there. And then I have one other thing that's less about the myofascial meridians, but it's uh, uh, the cranium. And so like, again, I was talking about through here and we have that alternating joint theory. We were talking about stability and mobility, right? And that traces up and most images, it stops right here at the neck. But I'm like, wait, we got another joint right there. So we have stable and then mobile. So this is often why I see upper cervical issues as a TMJ issue. And then if we trace through the cranium at the back of the head, we have stable. There's no suture there. Then we have mobile. We have a sagittal suture, but we need that to be protected. So we see this really unique serrated style suture, which increases surface area, probably like double or triple fold. So we have a lot of strength, but just a little bit of movement, which we still need. Then we have stable here at the forehead. And then when we get to this zone, we have mobility. And in fact, someone just posted an Andrew freaking Huberman again. It was a video from him uh, of an MRI of someone breathing. And you can see the soft palate and the first diaphragm moving with it. And I zoomed in and started watching. And guess what else also moves just a little bit? These bones through here. So again, if we see a lack of mobility in the palate, right, we have a lot of people's palates that are super narrow and they have ridges in them and they are messed up because of whatever our diet, Weston, he prices some good stuff on that, not an arch. Um, yeah, so we have that mobility through here before finishing with stability because you're opposed by two mobile joints at the side. So that's my little cranial way through the uh, stability, mobility, and coming from also that yin meridians right to the mouth no that was great and just funny side point here last time you were on we talked about c-sections and scars this time we talked about breastfeeding so it's it's wonderful that we always bring these these topics in every time that you're on so moms are important it wouldn't have been a podcast (laughs) without it man so yeah thanks mom (laughs) we had to put it in there but Listening to that, the word functional gets beat to hell and back within, within all the different communities. But like, I just think of whenever I hear functional, I'm really more referencing flow. And that's everything that you just did there, looking at the opposing forces and how and what we kind of reference is like yin and yang throughout this whole conversation as well from a Chinese perspective. It's just all over everything that you just presented there. So, and I remember whenever I began to think about the jaw as well, I used to, you're right, stop at the neck. But then I listened to people and they're like, that's the highest joint in the body. So like to not take that into association, like that top down approach is very important to think of as well. My podcast is named from the ground up. So I spend a lot of time coming from the bottom up, but it's important to look the other way as well, because like you said, there's all these different oppositions occurring throughout the body and expanding the diaphragm. I loved that too, because some of my other uh, podcasts, I've talked about the pelvic floor and its role with the diaphragm and the balloons within those arches. It all lines up really nicely. You know, that was great to hear. So much there to continually explore and study. It's a lifetime of it for ourselves and for those that we work with. For sure. So, 
if people want to continue studying or want to see more of this, the, the power of what you're presenting in this new series that you have is that you always provide great illustrations. So everything we referenced today, one of the limitations of podcast is that it's more of an audio uh, thing. So with your new series, all these things we've talked through, there's great images to go along with all the different discussion points. So tell people where they can find you. I believe you're also doing, are you doing some in-person things as well? So you can go ahead and shout that out if you're doing some other things out there as well. So just tell people where they can find you and what you have available at this time and kind of where your series is going that we've been talking about and kind of going through today. Yeah, absolutely. Well, everything can be found through the social medias if you just want to look and peruse. And what I'm doing now is uh, switching to little like instructional videos, just giving little kind of tidbits and then uh, putting up high quality images into little PDF books. So when I finish, I need to finish the kidney meridian. I'll have done all of the cranium to feet or feet to cranium, and I'm going to compile them all into one as one book so that each, you know, I go segment by segment, foot, knee, hip, torso, cranium through all of those. And they're individual images, so I put them all high-quality images into PDF, and then I'm going to put them all together. Then I'm going to finish up the arm lines, put the arm lines all in as one together. And then I honestly don't know what's going to happen. Because <laughs> in part, every time I get through to something and think I have a direction, something else might climb, climb up, come up, whatever, present itself. But uh, it's going to then be like cross-referencing like today of looking at the feet and all the lessons that we get from each perspective uh, lateral or posterior, anterior, deep or whatever. And then also, like I said, eventually connecting through the spiral lines and looking at how that gets us through space as well. It's just interesting, really quick thought that the Western anatomical person is arms down, but the Eastern is arms up. And I think this is one thing that is missing from our uh, movement of just general living, is getting the hands above the head every day. So Hooray for football season, at least getting millions of Americans to put their hands up. And then, yeah, so adaptablepolarity.com is the webpage. Have, geez, it's probably about 250 to 300 images now on there, up for sale. I think decent prices, comes with literature, stuff that I didn't post on um, the social medias. And then Instagram and Facebook, although by the day I'm disliking Facebook more, Instagram's still chugging along and TikTok's becoming more interesting because I'm starting to do these little videos. I thought I would just throw it there and then throw it up on all three and see who starts uh, giving some feedback and connection and conversations really. Well, awesome. Again, my audience listening, I'll have all this linked in the show notes uh, so that you can access it very easily. I'll also have it on the website whenever I do a more lengthy write-up of this particular uh, episode. So you can access all that there really quickly just by clicking there. And it's definitely worthwhile checking out. Uh, I've had you on twice for a reason. I love your artwork. I'm more of a words person, but I love to view different things because, again, we talked about the eyes a lot today. And it's, it just brings a different perspective. It just causes you to take a step back and like think about art is about like what is it to you? to me so like it's everybody's perspective is different words or words but like uh, an image allows you to kind of express yourself i feel like so you providing those images is what really drew me in i know you want to say something so go ahead picture's worth a thousand words that's right. <laughs> Makes like it easy, that, right? right? <laughs> so, so good points today man i really enjoyed sitting down with you um again anytime you want to connect 
love talking to you. Love going through all these different yeah. points. Excited to it see where you're going and glad you're able to kind of get back out there. I think the last time we talked, COVID wasn't like, you know, really high, but everything was still kind of restricted. And, you know, there wasn't a lot of travel or in-person things. So excited to see you get back out there and do oh, yeah. what you love and teach. So one last plug then, thank you, is uh, be teaching in person in Philadelphia late October. And I feel fully confident now that um, can bring uh, any skill level to it. And just show how we're all healers. Uh, and I do that through a cranial approach first, just because so often touch thing, people think of touch as like, you know, doing something to someone. But, you know, one of the other reasons that I chose polarity and adaptable polarity is because the water molecule happens to be a polar molecule, right? We got the two H's and then the O and that creates a polarity. So we're mostly water. And the importance of that molecule is uh it allows for connection so right we'll see beads of water not you know just it totally dispersed like sand and those two beads of water can then touch and they create one and so for mostly water and it's molecularly set up for connection what does that say about us as human beings so touch and connection can teach pretty much anyone uh the hardest of physical therapy trained hands to soften and start feeling the subtle things which is it's wild and it's really uh satisfactory for me to see people like oh, i felt something and i'm like hell yeah you did and we all have that ability we all have the ability to heal we all have the ability to be a healer for ourselves and to connect with others in the healing experience so yeah awesome it's not cranial sacral but it takes a bunch of principles of sitting still and being still with ourselves and with other people and what that can produce. Yeah. And so Philadelphia late October, that's it. <laughs> one, one of the things I can appreciate about everything you just discussed is like, if it works, it works. Like it, it, you don't, silo yourself kind of like we referenced earlier in the conversation so if this piques your interest it's it's definitely worthwhile checking out and if you can't make it in person check out all the different things we referenced today jordan i want to thank you for taking time out of your day to sit down with me oh man so fun i was looking forward to it all day i hope you enjoyed this week's episode check the show notes for links to jordan's website socials and his new project movement muscles and meridians that we referenced in today's discussion Again, I can't speak highly enough about the products that Jordan has out there. He provides great textual context and explanation for all of his stunning images that he composes. Don't forget to head over to FromTheGroundUpAthleticPerformance.com to check out the weekly podcast write-up based on today's discussion. It's located under the podcast tab. While you're there, you can also sign up for Ground Level, the monthly podcast recap newsletter which provides condensed points for all the guests featured that month. If you like what you heard today, don't forget to hit the subscribe button and leave a rating and review if you feel led to do so. Until next time, thanks for tuning in.